Well, let's stand together tonight with the Lord's help. I want to I want to spend our time in the Word, focusing on uh, your theme for this year, Every Neighbor, Every Nation. It's not what I had intended uh, to preach this evening, but I just, this afternoon, I just really felt like uh, this is where the Lord wanted us to go. And so I want to begin reading in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with them and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, and I love this, look at verse 12, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. The Lord's help tonight, I want to I preach really on the every neighbor part of your theme and, and just speak a little bit tonight on reaching the lost through building relationships. Reaching the lost through building relationships. Let's pray. Father, please add your blessing now to the reading of your word. God, you have called us and commissioned us to help people find and follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this church would, would take that call and that commission and that command more seriously this year than they ever have before. And God, I pray that as the day of our Lord's return draws near, that we would be more aware and more uh, conscious and more willing to reach those around us than we ever have. And God, help us to learn how to do that through building relationships with the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. When I talk about building relationships tonight, I'm talking about taking the initiative to get to know someone beyond being an acquaintance for the purpose of impacting them for Christ. I read something that John Maxwell said that I, I thought was applicable to our time together tonight. He said, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them if you're close. Think about that. You can, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them if you're close. A survey of 2,000 unchurched people conducted by the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism and uh, published by Lifeway Research found the following. 18% said they would come to church because of a Facebook ad. 19% said they would come to church because of a door hanger. 21% said they would come to church because of a visit to their door. 
23% said they would come to church because of a postcard. 29% said they would come to church because of an online video showing what the church was like. But then I want you to listen to these last two. 51%, 1,020 out of 2,000 said that they would come to church because of an invitation from a friend or neighbor. And 1,100 out of 2,000 said they would come to church because of an invitation from a family member. I checked with uh, recently with our associate pastor and asked him how many of those that have been saved recently, and uh, meaning the last year, um, were saved because someone they knew personally invited them to church. And when he got back with me, he said the, the nearest he could tell, 80% of those who were saved, which was 40-some folks in 2023, were saved because somebody they knew invited them to church. In his book, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched, Tom Rayner found that in researching the previously unchurched, that relationships played a role in someone now being in church 73% of the time. The story of Jesus befriending Matthew is, is really typical of his approach to reaching people. As we will see on more than one occasion, Jesus was willing to risk being associated with a sinner for the express purpose of impacting him or her for eternity. And if we choose to make this a common practice in our lives, and we should because Jesus did, then we need to understand that it will not be without its difficulties. Because there will always be, bless their hearts, some modern day Pharisees who will be more than willing to condemn us. But church, the truth still remains tonight. And these are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. They that be whole need not a physician. But they that are sick. Translated, the, the, the saved don't need us near as much as the lost need us. So here, here are a few things if you're taking notes tonight. How, how, can we, how can we be better at reaching the lost by building relationships? And first of all, I would say this, we've got to be open to building relationships. Jesus understood that building relationship with someone was really the key to their heart. He also understood that to influence them for eternity, he had to get close. Therefore, Jesus took the initiative to build relationships. If you have your Bible still open, go to the Gospel of John chapter 4. And I know you're familiar with this story, but let's just look at some verses here. John chapter 4 and uh, verse 4, it says, And he must needs go through Samaria. Now the truth is, as you know, Jesus could have taken any number of, of routes 
uh, to get to Galilee. He could have traveled along the coast. He could have uh, uh, traveled across the Jordan and up through Perea, or he could have gone straight through Samaria. And as I'm sure you've been taught through the years, normally the Jews avoided the Samaritans because of a a long-lasting, deep-seated hatred between them and the Samaritans. But Jesus knew that there was a woman there that he needed to reach and who in turn would reach an entire village. And once Jesus arrived in Samaria, as the story goes, he took a break at Jacob's well and and while he was there, he met a woman and he took the initiative to start a conversation and build a relationship. Look at verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And in the verses that follow, you see Jesus creating an atmosphere of love and trust so this woman would drop her defenses and be open to his message. And from that point, we the story progresses to what we read beginning in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Drop down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Church, listen, as Christians, as believers, we must, we must take the initiative to build relationships with the lost. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10? He said, for the Son of Man is come to wait and to save that which was lost. Is that what he said? No. He said, for the Son of Man is come to what, church? Seek and to save that which was lost. Seek. That means that he took the initiative. He didn't sit back and and wait for throngs of of lost people to come to him. He went seeking them. He went searching for them. He took the initiative to get close to them and to share the truth of the gospel with them. Now, obviously, we can't save tonight, but we can take the initiative, can we not? to seek the lost 
and point them to the one who can save? I want you to listen to this. There's a stretch of the Outer Banks of North Carolina that's known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. That's because hundreds of ships have been lost there over the centuries. So it was there that that something called the United States Life-Saving Service was born. They established these white frame buildings called life-saving stations every seven miles along the very treacherous coast. One interesting observation. Never in the history of the life-saving service did a drowning person ever come to the door of their station and ask to be rescued. In every single rescue, The rescuers had to leave the safety of the life-saving station and go out into the surf and the storm to keep someone from dying. It's the nature of rescue. You have to leave the comfort of the life-saving station to save those who are dying outside. The life-saving station is a great place to get rescuers strong enough to go out into the storm to bring people in. And it's a great place to bring people after they've been rescued. But if we wait for dying people to come into the life-saving station to be rescued, most of them will die without a chance. That's the nature of spiritual rescue. Over the years, it's been known by many names, evangelism, soul winning, witnessing. But the writer said, I'm afraid that many, many have lost the urgency of what really is at stake. Church, listen tonight. Every lost person you know who has never begun a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking every lost person within the reach of your church or your home is perishing. You understand that tonight? They're perishing. They have no hope. And they are without God in this world. And ultimately, they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. They are spiritually dying people. And their only hope is rescue by someone who is, listen, listen, who is close enough to save writer of that article that I was reading went on to say this, sadly, we wait for them to come to one of our life-saving stations, our churches, to one of our meetings or programs. But Jesus said in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the lost. He said that in the house of a reviled tax collector where he had been criticized for going. But Jesus shows us that you have to go to where the lost people are to rescue them. 
He said, we, we have these meetings and programs to rescue the dying. And few of them ever show up. The plan of God is for someone like you. An everyday follower of Jesus Christ to be the one to rescue the dying people around you. And most of you, he said, don't have to go very far because they're all around you at work, at school, at the gym, etc. He said, don't, don't just let them go on dying. Leave the safe, comfortable spot and take some risk to rescue them. Jesus left the comfort zone of heaven to risk it all, to give it all to rescue you. Now he's asking you to join him in rescuing others who will die forever without him. Church, there is nothing, listen, there is nothing greater that for you to do with your influence, nothing greater that you can do with your life than to rescue someone who would have died otherwise. To help someone else be rescued from hell, if you've ever been privileged to get to do that, to help them escape hell and to be in heaven forever is an incredible thing. Now, I stand to be corrected with regard to what I'm about to say tonight, and I'll take the, I'll take the correction humbly and I'll learn from it, but I have yet to read, and I just, I read the Bible through again last year, I have yet to find, preacher, one verse that commands sinners to go to church. I've never read a verse that commands lost people to go to church. But I've read a lot of verses, a lot of commands about the church going to lost people. The point that I'm making here is that Jesus took the initiative. He didn't wait for them to come to him on so many different occasions. He took the initiative to go to lost people. And church, that ought to be our challenge in 2024, to take the initiative to build relationships with lost people. A second thing that I would point out is that Jesus didn't allow the sinfulness of others to affect his building a relationship. Now, let me explain what I mean by the sinfulness of others. Most of you will remember the story of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 7 being invited into the home of a Pharisee for a meal. And while he was there, a, a woman who is only identified as a sinner. You remember, she began washing his feet with her tears and, and wiping them with her hair. 
And in verse 39, we read this. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. So often in a, in a town this size, in a, a, a town the size that I grew up in and now live in, so often what, what people have said about someone the rumors, you know what I'm talking about. Well, she's this or he's that or they're something else. And we let the rumors of, of, of what someone has said or a particular person's reputation or their initial appearance so often prevents people from being willing to build relationships with him. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. Okay, time out. Time out. out. How do you expect a lost person to act? Ding, 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 ding. Here's the answer. Like a lost person. Your pastor mentioned being a police officer. I just started my 17th year as a patrol officer for the Liberal Police Department. You know how I expect those lost police officers to talk? Just like a lost cop talks. And it's not very pretty. And that's just the women. It's not pretty. Do you know what? Over the course of the last 17 years or so, we've had the opportunity to reach right at 20 uh, first responder families. You know why? Because we're just loving them where they are. Listen, I know, I know every other word is going to be a cuss word. Those knuckleheads don't even know it. It's just you and I are conversing like this. They converse like that. But you know what? I love them. They know preacher man loves them. And they love preacher man. And they rib me, and I, I just give it right back to them. I'm not taking anything off those knuckleheads. And we go at it all the time, but they know at the end of the day, as was, was occurred about uh, four months ago now, I got a text from one of our corporals. He said, preacher man, I've been making a lot of changes in my life. So I've been changing my diet, I've been changing my habits, I've been going to the gym. He said, but there's still something missing, and I think it's God. Can we talk? So I texted him back and said, let me think about it. <laughs> no, I said, dude, let's go out for lunch. And so we did, and next week we started a, a six-week Bible study, through the, a salvation Bible study through the book of Mark, and Corporal Jacob Espinosa at the end of that bowed his head and called on the Lord to save him. You know how that happened? Because I didn't let his lifestyle keep me from building relationships with him. I didn't let his language keep me from building a relationship with him. 
And you know what? I still don't talk like he talks. Or like he talked. And I never started living the way he lived. But I still was willing to build a relationship with him. Our pastor, Pastor Tyler, for a number of years now has coached his 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 my grandson in, in baseball. And and just recently, like a month or two months ago, he just he just baptized the second coach that he's coached with. You know why? Because he was willing to build a relationship with them. He was willing to get close to them. And when Tanner had a crisis in his life, the only person he knew to call was Tyler. And that's who he called. Again, because Tyler took the initiative to build a relationship with him. When Jacob Espinoza knew that there was still something missing in his life, who did he reach out to? He reached out to the, to the, the, the Christian in his life who wasn't afraid of his language and his lifestyle and was willing to be his friend. That's all I'm talking about tonight, church. It's learning, but, but so often we, we let what other people have said and the reputation of other people keep us from, from building relationships with them, and that just should not be. But let me address something that probably some mature believers in here tonight are already thinking. I understand. I do. I understand that we need to be aware of the line of demarcation between being in the world and being of it. That's not lost on me. I understand that. And what I'm, what I'm speaking right now, what I'm teaching right now, I'll just be honest and say, if you're a new believer, you probably ought to be careful about what I'm talking about right here. Okay? Don't rush in. Oh, I'm just, no, probably, probably you need to stay at a distance for a little bit. Case in point, a lady named Tony got saved in our church, and uh, Tony's life was a mess. And she was a crack addict, and um, but I mean, she got saved. She really got saved. I believe that with all my heart. And one day, Tony comes to church, and she's bringing a she she brought a friend of hers. I said, preacher, this is so-and-so. She's my friend. I want to bring her to church. And so she, her friend started coming to church with her. Tony started hanging out with her, talking to her about what God's done in her life and all of that. One day I sit in my office, and I had a side door in case I heard people come into the office said, there's a preacher there. I could always kind of duck out the side door. So the secretary could say, no, he's not here, and not lie about it. But I heard this knock on my side door. 
And I opened the door, and there was Tony. And she was all strung out. She was a mess. And she had, you could tell, she had been up for days, hadn't showered for days, hadn't eaten for days. And she's bawling, and she's crying, and she just walks right past me and just lays prostrate on the on my office floor and just is weeping and crying. And she had stolen her mother's $5,000 diamond bracelet and had taken it across the street to a crack house and traded it for some drugs. And I tell you that story tonight to, to say this again, if you're a new believer, if God has just recently saved you and you're trying to get your life on track, then you need to use some real caution here. But as I look out, I'm, I'm looking at some folks that to me appear to be pretty seasoned believers, folks who've walked with the Lord for a while. And so this part of the message is for you tonight. You, you can be in the world. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm certainly paraphrasing here, but he said, if, 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 if you don't want to have anything to do with sinners, basically what he said is you've got to live on another, another planet. I mean, come on, sinners are everywhere we go. We, we can't, we cannot live anywhere without accompanying uh, with sinners, without being in the presence of, of sinners. What I'm talking about tonight is you and I taking the initiative to get a little closer to them than maybe what we have in the past. With the express purpose of reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I understand that, that we, can, uh, we can get close to sinners, but Paul also said that we are to refuse to let the world squeeze us into its mold, right? Romans chapter 2. So there's a fine line here. I get that. I understand that tonight. But here, here, here's the two extremes that, that people tend to live on, and I'll just narrow it down to independent Baptist people, is either isolation, ah, I'm not going to have anything to do with those people, I'm going to live a separated life, Listen, separated is not the same as isolated. Come on. We either have a tendency to isolate ourselves in almost a pharisaical way. Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Or the other extreme is assimilation where we're just sucked right into their way of life. But I would submit to you tonight that there is some middle ground between isolation and assimilation, and it's what I would call insulation. Insulation is what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. 
So how do we insulate ourselves? We get up every day and we spend time in the Word and we ask God to fill us with the Spirit and we insulate ourselves with the Word and the Spirit. I'm just telling you, we can do it. And God wants us to do it. Thirdly, Jesus risked loving the unlovable. We'll not turn there, but in John chapter 8, we read of the woman caught in adultery and how the, the men wanted to stone her, yet Jesus loved her. Why? Because as far as Jesus was concerned, everyone he met was of value because everyone he met had a soul. Amen. Now I want you to go to Luke chapter 2, and I want to show you one other truth, and we'll move on. Jesus never, never stopped building relationships. Luke chapter 23 and verse 42. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's at the end of his life. He's suspended on that cross between two thieves. In verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, one of those thieves said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus never stopped building relationships. The last thing he did before he died was build a relationship with a sinner. And he was able to make an eternal impact through that relationship. Listen, if we're going to go to every neighbor, then we've got to be willing, as the Lord leads, to get close to some of those folks. And to just love them where they are. And realize, as the pastor said this morning, but for the grace of God, that could be where we are. And maybe where some of us were. But somebody loved us enough to get close. Second thing I would challenge you tonight is in the area of obstacles, overcoming the obstacles to building relationships. And there are a number of them. I'll just list them and, and make some comment and go on past hurts people say well i built relationships in the past and i got burned i get that i do i understand that but i'd remind you of what c.s lewis said he said to love it all is to be vulnerable love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken if you want to make sure of keeping it intact you must give it to no one not even an animal Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, he said it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable and then he said this to love is to be vulnerable and that's just the truth tonight church 
if you and I are going to risk investing in someone, we have, to, we have to understand that they may burn us. They may take us to the cleaners. They, they, they may treat us in ways that we never thought they would. But that's part of investing in people. That's part of loving people. There's some risk there. Building relationships with the lost or, or even, even the saved for that matter. Right? Can be a risky proposition. But hey, aren't you glad that Jesus risked loving us? I mean, seriously, come on. It's not like we've never broken his heart. It's not like we've never hurt him. Here's another obstacle, self-righteousness. I mentioned this a moment ago, whether we admit it or not. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak as an independent Baptist since 1976. We can be a bit pharisaical at times if we're not careful. Amen. We can be. Well, I've never said that. No. But most likely we thought it, or we felt it, or we've acted that way. Prejudice. Allow me to remind you. Again, this, these aren't my words tonight, church. These are, these are Jesus' words. There is no difference. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich toward or, or rich unto all that call upon him. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, then Peter opened his mouth and said, this would be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And so I'll just insert there, so why should we be? But in every nation, he said, every nation, every neighbor. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And if Jesus is okay with him, then you and I ought to be okay with him. Now listen, I told you that we have the nation's fourth largest beef packing plant who do you suppose that beef packing plant who do you who, who do you believe the majority of those employees are they ain't white folks like you and me we're nearly 70 percent hispanic in our county and, and i get it all the rage, I, I get all of that. What's going on at the border, I get all of that. But I'm just telling you tonight, Fellowship Baptist Church has, has purpose in our heart. We're not closing our hearts to anybody. Anybody. And I hope the Faith Baptist Tabernacle will have the same spirit. Doesn't matter. 
We're no better than God. And if God is no respecter of persons, then we should not be respecter of persons. Because every living soul will spend eternity somewhere. And we cannot allow our prejudice to get in the way. Here's another one, selfishness. Some would argue, well, it just takes too much too much of their time, too much of their money, too much of their effort, too much of their energy to build a relationship with someone. I get it. I get it. If, if, if you're going to take somebody out for coffee, it's going to cost you. If you're going to take somebody out for a meal, it's going to cost you. If you're going to pay for somebody's green fee, it's going to cost you. I get that. But what did it cost Jesus to reach us? And then finally, let me share this with you. We need to learn to optimize our opportunities to build relationships. Let me give you five ways real quick. Number one, ask God, and this is so important. I really, really want to challenge you to do this. It will change the way you live your life. Ask God daily for a divine appointment. Oswald Chambers once said, God is the great engineer creating circumstances to bring about moments in our lives of divine importance, leading us to divine appointments. <laughs> so often what we think, man, that was a coincidence. No, it wasn't. That was a divine appointment. That was God orchestrating things in their life and orchestrating things in your life to a point that you cross paths. Case in point. Or, or, or let me say this. When you begin asking God for divine appointments, he's going to do a number of things. I'll give you an illustration in a minute. He's going to arrange your day so you connect with the right person. So every day before you get out of bed or when you get out of bed or before you leave for work, you're, you're, somehow you're going to pray, God, would you give me a divine appointment today? God's going to give you words to say when you can't think of any. God's going to provide wisdom you didn't know you had. All of the preaching that you've heard and all of the teaching that you hear, listen, God's going to... When you need it the most, God's going to bring that back. Something some evangelist has said, some missionary has said, some other preacher has said, some, some ministry staff person has said, somebody else has said. God's going to bring that back. He's going to give you boldness when you feel fear. And he's going to bring to mind key scriptures related to that situation. Now, case in point, it was 2014. I stopped at the corner of 8th Street and Kansas Avenue to buy what would have been my final, my last and final Meisenheimer's barbecue dinner. Marlon and Dorothy Meisenheimer had operated that barbecue trailer at the corner of 8th and Kansas for years. Years. I mean, they, they produced some of the, the, the best barbecue that I have eaten anywhere out of that little trailer but that day in 2014 they were closing and I knew that was their last day and 
In all honesty, I ate there a couple of times a week. It, it was just that good. I'd, I'd go out and get me a pulled pork sandwich and, and beans. And so that day I walked up to the window. I told, I didn't have to tell Dorothy what I wanted. She knew what I wanted. She said, I'll be right with you. And I looked over to my right and there was, was Marlon. He was standing over by the smoker. And, I have a tendency to do this. You probably haven't figured this out yet, but I have a tendency to just pop off every now and then. And I said, Marlon, said, you're making it awful hard on a guy like me who de- depends on you at least twice a week for lunch. And he walked over to me and he looked at me and we weren't particularly close. They had, they had catered some meals and I, again, he knew me, I knew him, but we were not like we were buds. I was a good customer. And he looked at me and he said, Bill, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And he started getting teary. And the next thing I know, these words come just blurting out of my mouth. Do you mind if I pray with you? Now listen, that. That's not normally the kind of person. I'm not the evangelist who wins every hotel debt's clerk to the Lord and every airplane uh, uh, attendant to the Lord and, and, and every restaurant waiter to the Lord. That, I'm, I'm not that guy, okay? I'm just not. So for that to happen was very out of character for me. But I just, <clears throat> do you mind if I pray with you? And he said, no, that'd be great. And so we kind of walked away from the trailer. I just put my arm around this man. Here's two men. I got my arm around him right there in the middle of the parking lot, right in front of God and everybody. And I couldn't even tell you what I prayed. But I prayed for Marlon and Dorothy Meisenheimer. The next week, Marlon, I'm leaving my church office. It's on a Saturday afternoon, late on, in the afternoon, and I, I'm leaving the parking lot, and I look over, and somebody's over edging the grass, and I'm thinking, well, who's that? Maybe one of the guys from the church. I'm just going to drive over there and say, hey. And I get over there. It's Marlon. And Marlon, what are you doing? Well, i got a little extra time on my hands, so I just thought I'd help the church. So we got in this conversation, and, 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 and toward the end of the conversation, he said, hey, would you mind if Dorothy and I started coming to your church? No. <laughs> he said, Dorothy was raised Catholic. And he said, so will there, will there be like a piece of paper or something to tell us when to stand up and when to sit down? I said, Marlon, this is a Baptist church, not a Catholic church. They had been going to the Methodist church. And he said, well, will there be somebody to show us where to sit? He said, I don't want to sit in somebody's seat. I said, Marlon, this is a Baptist church, not a Methodist church. And then he asked the question that every Baptist preacher wants to hear. He said, well, will they, will they take up an offering at the end? I said, Marlon, this is a Baptist church. <laughs> Make a long story short, Marlon came, and on December the 7th, 2014, Marlon and I met in my office at the church, and Marlon got saved. You know why he got saved? Because of a divine appointment that God orchestrated that day 
You with me tonight? I'm hustling. You with me? Listen, God can do that. When you begin praying, God, give me a divine appointment. God can, woo, God can make you. We're almost ending quicker than I wanted to. God can cross your paths with people that, that, and, and orchestrate things. And now it's nothing on special days for Marlon and Dorothy to have a whole row of people. For years, my wife and I volunteered for the Domestic Violence Center as uh, police response advocates. And the executive director at that time was named Hope Alvarez. And Hope's husband died of cancer. It was a long, drawn-out, painful death. One day, Katie had some papers to turn into the office. And so she walked in, and she, she saw uh, Hope down the aisle. And she just down the hallway there and she just walked in and and uh she said hope how you doing and hope just started crying okay this is so hard i'm so lonely i don't know what to do with myself and so my wife just put her arm around her and said hope can i pray with you and katie prayed with her and the next sunday hope was in church following thursday we went to visit Hope in her home. and So Hope, what brought you to Fellowship Baptist Church? And she said, well, Bill, she said, I have grown up St. Anthony's Catholic Church my whole life. She's in her mid-70s at this point. She said, I have given my time and, 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 and so much to that church, and not one person has called to check on me. And I figured, these are her words, she said, I figured if everyone at Fellowship Baptist Church was like Katie, that I wanted to be a part of a group of people like that. And after about an hour and a half, we were able to lead hope to the Lord. Why? Because of a divine appointment. I'm just telling you, God can make that happen, and he will make that happen when we begin praying and asking him for divine appointment. So when's the last time you've asked God to let your path cross with someone who needs Jesus Christ? If it's been a while, then I want to challenge you tonight to pray and ask him to do that and then be ready when he does. Number two, start within your own circle of influence. We all have a circle of influence. Start there. Number three, be there for people during times of sorrow and celebration. And I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to sell a lot of books. I'm just telling you, this book will help you. When you know somebody's lost someone, there's been a tragedy in their life, or, or maybe just a long, prolonged illness that, that has ended in death, for you to just go to them and say, listen, I, w- I want you to have this. I think it'll help you. Just to be there for people during times of of grief, during times of celebration. And then number four, be a giver, not a taker. And then number five, be patient. And I'll close tonight with this true story as it appeared in the article that I read. A man suddenly knocked a glass off the table and stood up, his face red and his eyes bulging. A piece of steak had lodged in his throat and he couldn't breathe. I glanced around the room hoping someone would rush to him to apply the Heimlich maneuver. 
but everyone froze hopeless. I pushed my chair back and ran to his side. When I wrapped my arms around his girth and squeezed the meat dislodged from his throat and I could hear the welcome sound of deep breath. Later, several people came to my table and expressed appreciation that I had helped. One gentleman said, I am so thankful you knew what to do. Could you tell me where I could learn to do that? I want to be prepared too. The choking man's wife left a note for me with the cashier. It said, thank you. My husband wanted to thank you but was too embarrassed and weak to say anything. We are so thankful you were not afraid to help us. My question to you tonight is this. Is being prepared to save someone's life good enough? Oh, well, preacher, I could have done that. Maybe. The question is, would you have done it? Most of you have probably been through first aid in your workplace. It's probably required. And you practice that. But again, the question is, is being prepared to save someone's life good enough? And the answer is no. Had that man not gotten up and went to where the choking man was, he would have never saved his life, no matter how prepared he was to do it. And listen, the choking man didn't get up from his chair and run over to this man. He couldn't. He was dying. But somebody was willing to get close enough to him to make a difference. And that's my question tonight. Who are you getting close enough to to make a difference? Now that's hard to do for for people around the world. But it's not that hard to do with people across the desk from you, across the office from you, or across the gym from you, or across the field from you, or across the yard from you. Amen. And if it's going to be every neighbor, then we've got to be willing to make the effort to build relationships.